You're listening to Overcome the Overwhelm for Special Needs Moms with Lauren Lowry. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to Overcome the Overwhelm. In today's episode, I am actually going to be interviewing a friend of mine who just released her very first book, and this book is all about helping the people around us be able to help us better, which I think is so amazing and so necessary. So I wanted to bring her on to the podcast so she could share the insight behind her book and all of just the amazing details and tell you guys about it. And it's just, it's an amazing conversation. So let's get started. All right, guys. Today, I have Miss Megan Amrich here today to talk about probably one of my absolute favorite books that I have seen on the market in regards to, you know, special needs life. So, okay, before I just tell everything about your book, Megan, I want you to introduce yourself to everyone, to all the listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Amrich. Um, I'm, I live in Massachusetts, um, and I am the mom to a almost seven-year-old, crazy, um, little boy named JB, and he has a rare genetic syndrome, um, and he, I know, um, like Leo, he is two-fed and uses a wheelchair and is non-speaking. He uses an AAC device, uh, or he's starting to um, learn that. And he is, I don't even know where to begin, the most mischievous, snarky, funny little kid ever. Um, and... um. I recently released my first book called Show Up and Bring Coffee, How to Support Your Friends with Disabled Children. So what inspired you to write this book? So my so my background is in journalism and public relations. Um, and when JB was 18 months old, I stopped working outside of the home because his care had gotten more complex and um, he could no longer attend daycare. So I started a blog to kind of chronicle my journey, um, shifting to being a stay-at-home parent and not being in the workforce anymore. And my blog's called Joyful, Brave, and Awesome. The initials JBA are for my son. And, um, we kind of always had that motto, like when we were going through his diagnosis and everything, like, okay, we're going to get up. We're going to be joyful. We're going to be brave. We're going to be awesome. We got this. We're going, let's go to that doctor's appointment or whatever. And we've had, my husband and I have such an amazing support system of friends and family and loved ones who have been there for us every step of the way since my son received his diagnosis. He was a little um, less than a year old when he received his genetics diagnosis, but we started seeing um, some symptoms when he was about two months old. So we've had such an amazing support system that we wanted to share some of the things that our friends and family have done for us 
with others who might be looking for ways to help their friends or family dealing with a diagnosis or ongoing health crisis or a child's disability or neurodivergence. We, it's hard being in the thick of it as parents to think of, I don't even know what to ask for for help because everyone's always saying, oh, how can I help? Or, oh, I'm so sorry. And can I do anything? And it's so hard thinking of ways to ask for help that I wanted to put together a guide with suggestions. So a short, handy guide so friends and family know how to help and so parents know how to ask for help. Yes, because that is the hardest part. Definitely. I remember because you are you are so stressed out. You're exhausted. You're, yeah. like you said, you're in the thick of it. It is really hard to come up with just like a list of things. And I remember, I w- that's why I would always just decline it. You know, especially yes. in those early years. I'd be like, oh, no, we're good. Even though I was not good. <laughs> I was drowning. Right? <laughs> so I love that the specifics of it, you know, this is how you can help. And that's, I I love it. And also, I have been following your blog for years now. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I never knew. I never connected JBA with the title. Yes. <laughs> I never connected the I'm like, it's okay. It's <laughs> that. I was like, is that? That's that's so. No, that's, it's okay. Yeah. One of I my friends that. just recently fig- figured it out, and she was like, "I can't believe it just dawned." I was like, "Well, I don't really. Say- I'm not hiding. I just that's like a little like special secret of yours. I love it. Facts. I love fun facts. So <laughs> yes, I do too. I do too. I love little secret meanings and you know, second meanings <laughs> and everything. So that's awesome. So whenever you were in the, you know, you're like you said, in the thick of it, and you said you had a really good support system, right? What do you think kind of led to that? Like, why were they so supportive? Like, what made them supportive? So I think there were a couple of different factors um, that went into us having an amazing support system. I think the first thing was we are fortunate to have family nearby. I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that. Um, So parents, um, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, etc. Not all, but we have a good deal close by um, or relatively close by. I think also the fact that the time JB was born. I was working in an office with a lot of amazing coworkers who were kind of becoming parents around the same time as me. So we were going through it together. Um, I think that made a huge difference. And a lot of my college friends only lived a few hours away. Um, far in New England terms. So like two hours away, which is a distance and a half here in New England, but um, in reality, not too far. So, I mean, that's like, that's your target run, right? That's literally my target run. I mean, we have to travel. I'm like, man, that's yeah. that's close. That's nothing. <laughs> um, So I think having the proximity was a big help. 
Ah. Also, JB was the first grandchild and mm. great grandchild and child. And so we had a lot of people in our corner. Um, <laughs> it was spoiled, I bet. I mean, very much so. Very, very much so. Um, and But I want to reiterate that it doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily dictated by physical distance you can help out a friend going through or family member going through a diagnosis or a rough period with their child's disability or health um, or neurological issues you can help from afar so one thing I frequently tell people when they're asking how they can help is something that I say in my book often. And that is, don't let physical location be a barrier to emotional presence. I think that wherever your friends and family are located, it you can still be there without necessarily being there in person. I think we all learned that during the pandemic that there are so many different ways that we can reach out to other people without physically being there. And that's something that I try throughout my book to reiterate time and again, offering suggestions, both for if you live next door, if you live in the next state, if you live in a different continent, et cetera. I love that. And I love that quote. I mean, just the fact that it's so true. You know, we always think help means physical help, but- a lot of what we go through is the emotional side of things, right? It's the emotional labor of, you know, getting the diagnosis. Sometimes that comes with a prognosis and just kind of having to see our life in a completely different way, you know, at the drop of a hat, just in a, and just instantly whenever you get that diagnosis. And it's just a lot of heavy things that come with this life. Even years down the road, you know, we go through things. You you probably understand that. You yes. know, there's times grief isn't just <laughs> in those first couple of years. No, no. Um, and I think it's easier when they're little and tiny and cute. And I mean, your kids and mine will they'll always be cute, but still <laughs> well. You know, but when they're little and tiny and everyone is fawning all over, I think that people forget that the needs don't stop there. They continue when our children grow, too. I think that when JB was little, I was going I was changing his diaper once and or something and someone said just remember this is still the newborn phase they'll grow out of it and I remember thinking in my head I don't think this is a phase and I know we often think that or catastrophize that but sometimes it's not and people are less understanding when the child is older and needs to be carried or use diapers or be fed or those types of things. It is an ongoing process. And as they get older, as the child gets older, the gap between your child and their peers just grows and grows and grows. 
and it brings new waves of grief every day. It does. I almost want to say that it gets harder. Our needs and their needs just increase, you know, as time goes on. You have all that help up front whenever they're little, right? But then here we are. I mean, I I don't know how much JV weighs, but Leo is like 45 pounds and... I mean, it's just, it's the constant, right? And it's, and I think that is why so many, I I know so many moms like us, you know, especially whenever you have a child with pretty severe disabilities that they have to leave the workplace and they have to figure out how can I make a place and make a difference at the same time in this world while also caring for my child. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I think I think it's just a really, a really kind of beautiful thing that ends up happening though, is we end up almost finding a purpose in it all. Yes. And I think that's kind of what you've done with this book is you found a, a very much a purpose. Thank you. Yeah, I just love it. I really do. So tell me in the book, yes. I know you give some very solid ideas. Yes. And you, I mean, it's just, it's perfect. So let me back up here, actually, because I'm trying to remember. I'm like, okay, people listening to this podcast have not read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Who is this book perfect for? Yes. So how I usually answer that when people ask is there are a lot of books out there for parents of disabled children, parents of medically complex children, parents of children with neurodiversity, all these different groups, um, special needs parents, whatever term you prefer. There aren't books for how to support the caregivers. There aren't. It's either books for the caregivers, books for educators, books for doctors, or books about public policy and how to change it from that. There's no, there's no other book for the the people who want to support caregivers so, that I know of. So that's who this book is mainly for, but at the same time, so it's written as a guide for people who want to support parents who are caregivers. At the same time, I want parents who are caregivers to see themselves in it, get ideas and inspiration for them to know that it is okay to ask for help, to have those concrete ideas, to see maybe, I know everyone comes at this from a different angle, but maybe to see maybe some examples of, oh, I felt that way too. Um, to see themselves in the book um, and not feel as alone. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most common things that we deal with and that moms like us deal with is the isolation. Yes. And I, I describe it a lot as feeling almost like an alien on an alien planet. All of a sudden, you're like, I can't relate to anybody. I can't relate to my friends that I used to be able to relate to. I can't relate to, you know, the other moms at school or at daycare or at church. And I can't relate to just anybody because all of a sudden you're just in this separate world. The isolation is so real. And the more and more we remind 
ourselves and we remind, you know, especially getting in, I feel like, you know, as people are getting diagnosed or, you know, their kids are getting diagnosed and I feel like they're like joining our world. I just want to like, got to reach out. Like your book is a way to reach out and be like, come here. We've got you. Here's, here's your people over here. (laughs) You're not alone because you're not, there's so many of us. We're just all spread out around, you know, hundreds of miles away from each other sometimes. (laughs) It reminds me of when I started college, I had a difficult time finding other people that were, had similar interests to me when I was a freshman because the most common way in college you meet people is you go out to bars or, you know, and the people staying inside aren't, you don't see them that much. So you feel alone. And I thought of that a lot when I first was staying home with my son, because you're not seeing the other people staying inside, you know, exactly. you're not, and I'm I'm a total extrovert, so it just drives me crazy. <laughs> um, but you're wondering, am I the only one like this? And there are a lot of people wondering, am I the only one like this? But they're not visible. And so I'm so excited, even in the six years since JB's diagnosis, how much more visible it is becoming. Um, whether through social media or groups, meeting people in person since the pandemic, um, those types of things. And seeing that it's not, you're not the only one, although it often can feel it that way. Yeah. It is so powerful to have that connection with others too, even and especially in person. I mean, yes. that's... I kind of a side note on this, that if you have any conferences related, so this is just for everybody, just like my piece of advice here. If you have any conferences related to your child's diagnosis, like a family conference, absolutely go because you will feel like you've never felt before. You'll feel like you can run through a brick wall all of a sudden because you're like, I can do this. (laughs) I don't know what that feeling is, but I just, I love it. And you just can feel, you feel so alive and you feel so good. And connection actually is one of the biggest things, one of the biggest key components in burnout prevention and burnout treatment is like true deep connection with others. And you're right. I mean, I think that's maybe part of the reason why so many, I mean, there's a million reasons why. Parental burnout is so prominent in our group because it, a lot of different reasons, but because we are isolated, right? You know, flu season and cold season, a lot of kids who have to stay inside because, you know, they just can't risk it or it's hard to go out when there's not changing tables, you know, and it's getting better. It's either getting better or I'm just noticing it more because I'm in, you know, inside the the know now. But I do feel like I see airports now with adult changing tables and things like that. So it's just that connection and that recognition that, yeah, this is normal, right? Maybe it's not normal, normal, (laughs) but it is a different kind of normal, right? It's normal for some people. It's normal for us. I've noticed that um, JB joined a baseball team this year and it's Miracle League. They have them, I 
believe all across the country um and at least in the northeast and there are leagues specifically for kids with special needs or disabilities um and it's everyone plays and it's like it's amazing for him he oh my god he loves it but also there's something so mentally comforting as a parent seeing that you know you're not the only other one dragging the feeding pump like out of the untangling the feeding pump in the car when you're trying to get them out of their car seat or you're not the only one wondering where's their chewy do they have another one if that one falls on the ground all these little things or you know swearing as you unpack the wheelchair from the trunk like (laughs) all these things that no one it's you forget that other people do understand you know there are other people out there um the other day I saw a couple parents having a conversation about like oh do you like that wheelchair van we're looking at this one or this one and I'm creepily listening because we're thinking in the next few years and just think where else could you see that like what other parents go to sporting events looking forward to conversations or chats with the other parents? Like, oh yeah, I don't no. think that's that common. Like, nope, I don't think that's common. And the other thing is, is you don't have to worry about being stared at, or if you are being stared at, exactly. it's because they are like creeping on. Ooh, what kind of wheelchair is that? Or ooh, exactly, you know, right? What's that van? It's like exactly. You know, I don't, you know, I, steering doesn't bother me, right? I'm just, I'm very much like, yep, this is what we're doing. Like, come over, I will educate <laughs> you. But I know that that can be annoying at times, right? It can be bothersome to some people, can really, really bother some people. But yeah, whenever you're just in a group of people who it's just normal with, you yes. don't see that, <laughs> that reaction. It's just, you know, you don't have to be like, oh, I wonder what they're thinking as I pull out this feeding tube to feed my child (laughs) in front of everybody you know so and speaking of feeding tubes you have a whole chapter on feeding tubes right I sure do Um, and I I quote you in it actually (laughs) I didn't realize that was the one I was quoted in that is not why I asked that that's hilarious you're mentioned in two chapters in the podcast this podcast in two chapters um but (laughs) I I just remember that that part of it I didn't Oh, wow. I'm not self-promoting my little quote in there. <laughs> All of your making this. Um, But yes, I do. I have a chapter on feeding tubes um, and just how to, as a friend, if your friend's child has a feeding tube, kind of some things to keep in mind that you wouldn't necessarily find in other books. Yeah. Um, and how to, if they have to do a tube feeding at your house, how to react, how, what not to say. Um, I basically say treat it as if your friend were breast or bottle feeding a ba- uh, baby, toddler, whatever. Um, the questions you would ask, the ways to make them feel comfortable are in many ways very similar. Don't shame them. Don't send them to a back bedroom. Don't gag if the child spits up. 
oh if you knew the number that's yeah um (laughs) oh no you knew the number of times that's happened that in situations yeah um dirty looks or it's your child has to eat and the way that people ask you know can I refrigerate this for you do you need anything can I get you a water um just making it as comfortable for your friend as possible um, because the emotional toll of being told your child needs a feeding tube is it's unlike anything else I've ever, ever experienced and regardless of the circumstances of why your child needs a feeding tube or when they had it there's such a level of guilt as a mother and I know you've done episodes on that before and everything, but it just, that is weighing on your friend or loved one, no matter how much they work through it. There's going to be that level of trauma from when they were told their child needed a feeding tube. And that's always there. And it to some degree. And so making them as comfortable and included when they do need to feed their child is one of the best gifts you can do. And if you're feeling super ambitious, asking if you can learn how to use the tube so you can feed them or babysit. Um, I think I say in the book, um, it's the second greatest thing you could ever say to me in the entire world is how can I use their feeding tube? The first is, hi, I'm here with Trevor Noah and John Krasinski and we brought ice cream sundaes and boy band karaoke and we're gonna have a party. Um, your boy brand karaoke what <laughs> that would be like my dream come true oh my two celebrity God. crushes <laughs> ice cream sundays boy band karaoke that would just be yeah i'm but in other than- <laughs> let's make this happen <laughs> uh, yes i will invite you other than that how can i use your feet how can i learn the feeding pump can i lend a hand is the best thing you can say <laughs> I remember, uh, I think it was about a year ago, my grandma, she is 90 years old. She had just lost her husband. So my grandpa had just passed away, like pretty recent before this. And we're at a family thing. It was some holiday. I don't, even, I don't even remember what holiday it was. And she asked me, I was feeding Leo in the kitchen and she's just this, just the sweetest, quietest little old lady that you could ever imagine. And she just came up to me and she goes, can I please do that for you? Oh my goodness. And I was like, sure. And she goes, okay, you're going to have to tell me what to do though, but I want to do it. And so she held, I mean, you know, we do uh, gravity feeds. Right. I know. And I have a picture of it because I was like, I want to remember this moment forever because it was that impactful for me. It was that special that she wanted to. And she, that was not the last time she ever fed Leo. She's oh. fed him since then, you know, a couple of times. And it's just every time it just makes my heart so happy because she didn't have to do that, right? She didn't have to, you know, my my parents were there and they feed him all the time. And, you yeah. know, me and my husband were there. We could feed him, whatever. But just that, just that offer, it really made me feel loved. So that's that's funny because she always says you are loved. That's something she always tells people. So, yep, that's that's my granny Pat. If you guys (laughs) 
know me in real life, then you know exactly who I'm talking about. But yeah. So I want to talk about, you said something a second ago about how there's a lot of shame around G-tubes, right? And I just want to say like, or a lot of guilt, right? A lot of guilt whenever we first get that news that your child has to have a G-tube. And whenever we're around others and, you know, we have that guilt going on inside of us, it's really shame because we think I did something wrong because I'm flawed. Something's wrong with me. I am a bad mom, whatever, right? I failed. And that shame. So Brene Brown has a quote that I I do not know it word for word right now, but it's something like shame loves, like shame loves to hide. Essentially, whenever we don't normalize things, that's where shame thrives. But whenever we're able to really just normalize something and make it just no big deal, part of life, right? Just like if you were feeding your child with a bottle or feeding them, you know, with a spoon or whatever. And that is where the shame kind of dissipates. And I think that that's what happens whenever you go over to a friend's house or over to a relative's house and or out in school and they just act like a tube feeding is just no big deal. That is what it does for parents. It just dissipates that shame. It normalizes it a little bit. Definitely. Seeing seeing JB's classmates kind of just totally accept when he gets his feeds at school. Um, his When he was in kindergarten, his teacher told us within the first month, he has he's hooked up to a pump so when the feed is done it lets off that gosh forsaken beep that we all hear in our nightmares and um the you know but his classmates went they within a month they were saying oh that means he's done eating and they would go back doing their work and she said they think nothing of it anymore and kindergartners adjust really easily it's just kind of you know, as he gets older, they'll, they just kind of, okay, that's how he eats. Yes. Um, that's how they see it. And they're not thinking, you know, oh, well, you know, that mother must, must have been faced with the diagnosis of, oh, your child's failure to thrive. And that's what this means. Blah, 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 blah. They're just thinking, oh, that's how he gets his food. Okay. Like, you know. Because to kids, they're learning so many new things every single day that seeing a kid that is different, they're just like, oh, okay, that must just be like a different kind of, no- like I said, a different kind of normal. I mean, yeah. you know, to them, they're, yeah. I, they're the same thing with Leo. I mean, they are obsessed with Leo. His classmates are. And I I think they know, ex- I think they could probably feed him. Honestly, they've seen it enough times. I think they could probably put in his extender and... <laughs> I'm not going to let them. I mean, they're seven-year-olds, but I don't know. Some (laughs) of them might be a little bit more responsible than most adults. (laughs) JB's classmates, um, he was the student of the day a couple weeks ago at his, um, in his class. And all the students in his class had to draw portraits of him. And they gave them to us in a book. And it's just the cutest thing you've ever seen. But it's so funny because it's only from the shoulders up. So they're not going to draw a wheelchair or anything like that. Um, A few children drew his AAC switches for communicating, like, in the background or the bib he wears. But Mm -hmm. 
every single child drew these crazy spider eyelashes because he's a little boy with ridiculously long eyelashes like boys always have (laughs) and it just made me laugh because every single picture it was like that's what they see when they see jb it's oh it's the boy with the eyelashes not amazing eyelashes i mean he does have amazing eyelashes (laughs) he really does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's not that's what they see and that's what they think of and the first the identifying feature it's not that he uses a wheelchair it's not that you know it's oh yeah <laughs> yep it's this is yeah he's just one of us right yeah I love it I love it so much okay so I want to know what is your favorite part of your book so one of my favorite aspects that's actually throughout the book is I have features called a scene on TV and for several different chapters and I process things by relating it to TV always have um we have a picture of my dad my dad sitting with me when I'm two and we're I'm in my footy pjs and we're both reading tv guides on the couch I have several chapters where I include scenes from like favorite TV shows to better illustrate points I'm getting across. And so I like that because I'm a total pop culture nerd. And I love it. Okay. That's how I would talk or relate to things in like my everyday life or to friends. And so that's how I'm going to do it in this book because It's not like a big academic tome. It's a guide for people who want to help. And I'm going to make it enjoyable because you're doing the effort of learning how to help. So I reference Parks and Rec, The Office, Big Bang Theory, Bluey. And so I'll include a scene that has nothing to do with disability from one of those shows. And then how it relates to showing up for your friend and being supportive and um it just injects a little bit of humor to into what can be kind of heavy topics yeah so that's my for the the people around us right the the friends and the family they it's heavy for them too they are scared they are scared not just for you know the child that they love too but they are scared of essentially making us mad or offending us or doing something wrong. And I think that's why a lot of people don't even offer to help because they don't know what to say. Yes, definitely. So I like that you added that level of just humor and lightness because that's needed. That is necessary. It's like, hey, no, this is, this is okay. Like, right. It's not, it's not just something that always has to be, yeah, that like heavy cloud of, awful gloom and doom right and it's like hey no we can have fun with the still we can joke around and have a light situation too right yes. and sometimes we need that we need the people around Definitely. us to have that <laughs> to bring us out right we're in a funk i need someone to yeah make a movie re- or make a tv show reference really yes. we reference <laughs> my husband is a big he's like you i mean i swear he talks in movie quotes and tv show quotes like exclusively <laughs> Like half the time, I don't even know their quotes. He's like, do you even know what that's from? I'm like, no, I don't. It's really obscure. <laughs> like not a famous quote at all from that. 
<laughs> but you know, that's just, it's something that, yeah, adds that, that little bit of just fun and joy to it. Yes. Yes. Is there one, and I don't want to give away all the secrets of your book here, <laughs> but is there one in particular that's your favorite? One of the tips? One of the, uh, one of the movies or the TV show. Oh, yes. Yes. So, um, my, all I have to go with my all time favorite TV show. All my friends know is the office, um, minus season eight, but that's a topic for another podcast. And <laughs> we're going to do an entire office. Oh my gosh. Yep, that's a whole other podcast. I guess. Um, but, <laughs> um, the quote I use from the office is, um, how can I be there for Michael when I'm here for Michael? Because the character's worried that he can't sit next to his friend who's going through a breakup and he doesn't think he can be there because he's at the other end of the table. And I just love that quote because so often we think when we're being there for someone, we're physically there. And like we were talking about earlier, um, you don't have to physically be there to be present. Um, and I just think it's a really funny visual of, you know, the person looking at the other end of the table thinking there's nothing I can do for them. They're gone. But at the same time, like you can still be supportive. You're literally at the other end of the table but, um, in general. So that's probably my favorite. Oh, that's, that's a good one. I knew that that one's going to be your favorite too. I had a, a hunch. <laughs> So what would be one thing that you want to leave everyone with, like one big, you know, quote, or it can be a piece of advice, or it can be just something you want to say and sure. wrap it all up. So the one thing I'm actually, this quote from the book has been on my mind a lot today. I'm putting together a graphic about it. Um, to share on my social media later today. So it's been very much top of mind for me. Um, it's from um, this book and it says, parents of disabled medically or medically complex children are drowning and should. We can be warriors, but we need to be strategic about when, where, and how. And I think it's so easy to for people meaning well to say, oh, you should try this. Or have you heard of this hospital? Maybe you should reach out to that trial. You should. And they expect us to be warriors because you see on TV, you know, the mom who will stop at nothing for her child and won't take no for an answer and all that. And we are all, all parents are juggling so many competing priorities at the time. We have to be strategic about when and where and how because we're drowning in all the, you should do this or that or that. So I think just giving your friend advice, but also giving them grace at if this is right for you um, and realizing that they're not being lazy. They're not being ungrateful for your help. They just need that space to prioritize because they know all the moving factors in their lives. Yeah. And I think that we as moms are just as guilty of falling into that stereotype trap totally. of trying to live up to that stereotypical, oh, you know, whatever special needs mom or mom with a kid with disabilities or whatever, yes. that superhero mom, mama bear, 
Yes. And, you know, I love the, did you watch the show Speechless? I love that show. I love that show. But she is an example of a mom who goes to all the extremes for her child. And I'm like. And then some, yes. (laughs) But also. Yes. You can't keep up like that, right? And I think she does, you know, exhibit some stress in that because of it. And (laughs) yeah, we fall prey to that and ends up just really weighing on us. Really causing a lot of stress and all the shoulds, all the shoulds. You shouldn't, you know, oh, you're shooting all over yourself or whatever. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I got to drop that. those expectations, got to lower them. <laughs> yes. So that's the quote. Okay, Megan, thank you so much for coming and talking with me. I, I think I could talk to you all day long, honestly. Um, <laughs> just, we're just chatty Cathy's. But <laughs> where can listeners find your book and your blog and all of all the things you (laughs) well thank you um you can find my book again that's show up and bring coffee um you can find it on amazon you can find it barnes and noble independent bookstores etc um or you can go and you can go online at my website, which is joyfulbraveawesome.com. And all the book buying info will be there right when you sign on to the website. Um, the book info is right on top. It will include the links on where you can purchase. Um, right now, as we film this, I am still offering hardcover signed editions if people are interested and you get like a free little gift thrown in um it's a surprise but um you can find me there and yeah I'm hoping that people learn a lot from this book and get a lot out of it and are willing to talk with their support systems more about ways they can offer and receive help moving forward yeah Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and talking. (laughs) And for having me. Yes. And I just got to say, like, go buy this book and (laughs) one, read it, and then send a copy to your family members or send, I don't know, leave it laying out in their (laughs) their houses or whatever. But it was. It is a fast read. It is a fast read. It's it's, it's entertaining. (laughs) It's not, yes. So. It's just something that I think, you know, is is needed because I, it's one of the questions I get. I get messages all the time from grandparents, siblings of adult, you know, you know, like aunts and uncles to the kids and things like that. I get that question all the time. I don't, how can I help? Because I, I don't know. So thank you for writing this book. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Overcome the Overwhelm. If you have questions or like more information, head on over to LowryLifeCoaching.com and I'll see you next week.